Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on season three. Whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now on to the episode. Season 3, Episode 12, Helpless. <laughs> Steph and I are kind of speechless because this is going to be a difficult episode to discuss. And it's such a good episode. Like, I would say this is a really good episode. It's just... I don't know how I feel. Yeah. Like, I can tell it is. The writing's sharp and the story progresses. And we focus on two characters in particular. And it's scary. Can I just say that this episode is like the scariest one that we've seen so far on the show up till now? This was a very tense episode, and I, I do want to say congratulations to the writers for this one, because it's a horror show. They use a lot of horror tropes, and we've seen scary things in the past, but they've created a tension and a vibe on this episode that is true horror. Mm. Like, there's, like, you know, locked inside a haunted house. The psychopathic nature of the villain this week was actually quite scary, so... That's what I mean when it's like, it's a good episode in that I think they they achieved that. I think that's where some of my reservations are coming from, is Mm. the fact that in some ways it doesn't feel like a Buffy episode. Yeah, they went full horror in this episode, so in a lot of different ways. (laughs) (sighs) All right, well, let's get into it and we'll, we'll see you how we feel as we go. You know, I felt really good at the beginning of the episode. Are you surprised? (laughs) I am a little bit because Angel has this shirt on. I thought for sure that would be a turnoff for you. Well, I mean, I'll take what I can get because what we do have (laughs) is a candle lit, fireplace lit mansion. And there is a goddamn charcuterie board picnic set up laid out on the floor and we pan over on this and I'm like what the what is happening and then boom Buffy and Angel roll into frame they're not making love unfortunately they're fighting each other they're they're practicing or rather their stunt doubles are and um eventually Buffy kicks Angel to the ground she grabs one of the baguettes and like rolls over on top of him pretending to stake him and she's like gotcha And Angel's like, right in the heart. And she asks if he's satisfied. And he says, I'm not sure that's the word. So, ooh, Buffy's straddling him. And she senses the sexual tension. So she gets up really quickly. And I was like, whoa, whoa. This is how I love to open up any episode. (laughs) They both get up. And Buffy's like, I didn't mean satisfied, you know, because we're not having satisfaction in the personal sense. And Angel's like, of course, of course. And Buffy's like... I have to go. I have to go meet Giles. And thanks for the workout. Okay, but I'm just so confused. If they were working out together, was that the purpose of her coming? Because why is there a charcuterie board picnic laid out? There's like grapes and cheese. Do you not eat charcuterie with other people <laughs> when you're working out with them? I wish. Like there's, t- there's a trend here that I'm really not on. That yeah, I'm not all with. of us. That's normal, Stephanie. I, I don't know. Well, 
God, you guys are so fancy. Everyone's fancy but me. I, I was like, did, did Angel lay this out for her? And if he did, that's so sweet. <laughs> so romantic and sweet. And if Buffy brought it because she's the only one eating the food and like laid it out like that, then she's like, I gotta go. I was like, what the? Why? <laughs> Why? Why? So anyway, it looks delicious. I like to believe Angel did it for her and she's being rude by not sitting with him and eating it. Angel is acting like a little schoolboy here. And he's like, oh, am I, am I going to see you this weekend? Oh, you, you probably have plans. Like, he's really nervous to ask her what she's so doing. So we're back to them seeing each other after a couple of episodes of we're not going to see each other. Yeah, now they're seeing each other, you know, with cheese involved. And Buffy says it's her birthday. She reminds everybody it's her birthday. And she does have a thing. And Angel says, oh, a thing. Like, like a date and <laughs> Buffy says nice attempt at casual but she does have a date with an older man very handsome likes it when I call him daddy <laughs> uh, that's more sexual now than I think it was back then and Angel's like oh it's your father right I hope it is <laughs> and um here's something I noticed about Angel in this episode he's a lot more lighthearted than the last couple episodes that we've seen him and I love to see it like here he's like grinning, he's like, you know, really vulnerable with her and she make he makes he's making her smile too. And I, I just like this lighthearted nature of him right now. Clearly him and Buffy working out together and setting up picnics together has been really helping him get through his depression. So Buffy says her father is taking her to the ice show and uh, she could use some fun. Cut to Buffy not having fun in the library with Giles because he's getting her to stare at rocks and gems and such. And the one rock that he's holding up is an amethyst. And I want everyone who's listening to the podcast to know that Kara and I hail from Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada, which is the amethyst mining capital of the world. So if anyone wants to find a good amethyst, call us up. We can find some for you. Please don't call me. <laughs> don't call me to go mining for you, please. But the, the, the sentiment is there. Giles seems really irked about this, even though, you know, Buffy's giving her usual sass. And he says he wants her glib-free attention. Again, they've been doing this the past couple episodes. They briefly mention Faith, right? Buffy says Faith is on an unannounced walkabout, is what she says. So, so she must be out of town or just not reachable at the moment. So Buffy wants to patrol. And Giles notes that Faith is not interested in proper training, so I rely on you to keep up with yours. And Buffy says that she hates being the good one. And I was like, but why does Faith get off so easily? Buffy's forced to do it. I know Faith doesn't really have a traditional watcher, right? An official watcher with her. But uh, it is weird that they give Faith so much slack and not Buffy. So something I'm noticing as I'm rewatching the series kind of one episode a week, which I think is the first time I've done it, <laughs> at least since I watched season seven when it was being broadcast, because... My past rewatches, it was always like, oh, it's on every day after school on space. Or, you know, once I was watching it on DVDs, it was like I would, you know, sometimes go a week without watching it. But then I'd watch a couple of episodes in a row. So now that I'm watching the episodes with more space in between them, I'm really noticing how in this season, Faith isn't around as much as I thought she was. <laughs> I like, know. She, she's not been in a few episodes now. It's interesting how the writers are trying to do this character development by just mentioning her. And I, I don't know if she's being underutilized or what. Um, obviously, given what happens later on in the season, it's just like, huh, that's weird. I guess my brain thought she was around this part of the season more. 
Yeah, I agree with you. It is weird to really see that she's not here. And I think this is halfway through. Like, we're over halfway done the season at this point, which is weird to think about. But yeah, for sure. Where's Faith at? So Giles asks Buffy why she's so anxious. And Buffy says she's she has energy to burn. And I was like, yeah, because she wants to bone Angel and she can't. So she says she has to come here and stare at rocks. So... Giles puts a giant blue rock in front of Buffy and says, stare at it. And then uh, we cut to the playground at night and Buffy is fighting a vampire and she throws the vampire down the slide at the playground. And she's like, that was really funny looking. Could you do it again? (laughs) And he's like, I'll kill you for that. And Buffy's like, for that? What were you trying to kill me for before? And I just really love the sass. And uh, suddenly Buffy kind of squints like she's really dizzy and like steps back for a second. And in that time, the vampire is able to quickly overpower her and he's about to stab her with her own stake. And he's saying, let me know if I'm doing this right. And Buffy looks really scared and we cut to credits. Yeah, I know. Why the sexualness of it? After credits, Buffy does manage to headbutt the vampire, grab her stake. And as he dives on top of her, he kind of kills himself (laughs) on her stake. And uh, she's very, very visibly shaken by what just happened. So in the library the next day, she's throwing knives at this dartboard and missing. And Giles comes in and she says something is wrong. And she says she's way off her game. And she asks what's going on. And Giles suggests that it's just a bad bug. Like she's got the flu. And Buffy starts panicking. She's like, well, I can't get sick because my dad's coming and we're going to go to the ice show. And we do that every year. And I was like, every year? You didn't do it last year, Buffy. Last year you were getting laid. So like, (laughs) every year? Yeah. This also, this line hit me harder now that we're in the middle of a pandemic where every little sniffle is possibly a deadly disease raging across the entire world. I know. Yeah. It's scary to think that that's also still happening. So Buffy says she needs to spend more time training even though giles says like lay off and then she breaks something with her knife and she's like i'm gone and he's like thank you and she goes and outside of the picnic table xander willow and oz are hearing about buffy's ice show plans and i think they're you know they're making fun of it saying like it's for little kids and buffy she says it's not a big dumb girly thing there's a lot of olympic medal winners there and every year her dad buys her cotton candy and they get their souvenir programs and then she's like okay it's a big dumb girly thing but i love it i was like it's not big and dumb and girly buffy love what you love all right figure skating's great yeah enjoy it so i i I like the reminder that you know buffy's into skating (laughs) and is it just me or is she wearing the outfit with the the long scarf and the top and stuff that she wore Back in season one when she was figure skating. Oh, season two. Yeah. Yeah, that could be. Ooh, we'll have to go back and look. Yeah, but uh, Oz pipes in. And like, mind you, the Scoobies don't have much to do in this episode, right? That's one of the reasons why it feels so off to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Oz pipes in and says, ice is cool. It's water, but it's not. (laughs) I was like, okay, great addition to this conversation. So Willow thinks it's sweet that her dad and her have a tradition since he's not around that much. So everyone remind. remember Hank? We haven't seen Hank since the beginning of season two. So here's a reminder that we haven't seen him in a long time. And we don't see him now. I know. What the fuck, Hank? So Xander still wants to party to celebrate the birth of Buff. And Buffy says, maybe we should put a moratorium on parties in my honor. They tend to go badly. Monsters crash. People die. And Willow's like, 18's a big one, though. You can vote now. You can be drafted. 
you can vote not to be drafted. And Buffy says she chooses to celebrate this one with quiet reflection. And uh, for anyone who's not from the States or from Canada, like 18 is a pretty big deal. It is a pretty big birthday. It signifies like our independence in a lot of ways because we usually graduate from high school when you're 18. You can vote, as they're saying. You can get a tattoo at 18. It is a big age. It's that you're technically an adult. You're verging onto adulthood when you're 18 years Mm -hmm. old. (laughs) Cut to Joyce in the kitchen who's making dinner and there's a big bouquet of flowers on the counter. And Buffy comes in and Joyce says they're from her father. And then she says his quarterly projections are unraveling and he can't afford to take time off right now. He promised to make it up to you. It's all right there in the letter. So Buffy is looking so sad. She takes the letter and the, the ice tickets are in there too. And she just kind of balls it up as Joyce is talking. And Joyce is saying, like, I can get someone to cover for me at the gallery and I can take you to the ice show. No, it's not the same, Mom. And Buffy throws everything across the room and stalks out. (laughs) I don't want you. I want my dad. Keep. You're just going to smoke up. (laughs) Mom, you won't watch the show, if you know what I mean. Uh, But Hank, what the hell? Not even a phone call. Not even, like, you can't even call her up. That's a weak sauce excuse. Oh, for sure. He's banging some hottie who's, like, 15 years younger than him. He's gone to Tahiti, like... (laughs) He doesn't want to spend time with... I'm, I'm sorry. Am I Am I bitter? Are you? Um, are you? You're right, though. You're right. Like, a, a fucking letter. Quarterly Hank, projections. Like, a bouquet can make up for the fact that you haven't seen Buffy since the summer of her junior year. No, no, Come no. On. Don't forget. There was a time that he also visited her in her, her dreams and told her that she's the reason <laughs> that her parents broke up. Well, yeah. But that's another big thing that we need to think about for this episode too is the the parental father father figures in her life uh so yeah so this is a big blow obviously buffy's pissed and she's like i was just thinking of having it'd be nice to have a quiet birthday and she leaves so we cut to this random mansion or house and this man is bricking up windows as an an old man watches (laughs) and another man comes down the stairs and the old man is like How much longer, Hobson? (laughs) And he says, five, maybe six hours, sir. And they're all British. And the old man says, once you finish, you and Blair get rest, but sleep in shifts. And then they all stare at this locked box. And the man says, we're getting very close. The Slayer's preparation is nearly complete. Ooh, something's happening. So... We cut to the library where Giles is taking out more rocks and stones and Buffy is talking about the ice show. And this is another like, ugh, why is everything in Buffy's life miserable? Because she's like trying to talk up the show and is very clearly trying to get Giles to come with her to it. You know, she mentions Brian Boitano is going to be there, which made me laugh because, you know, I'm a figure skinny fan. It just really goes to show how much she thinks of Giles at this point in her life, right? Like, he clearly is the substitute father that you and I have been saying he is this whole time. She says, if someone were free, they'd take their daughters or their student or their slayer. And Giles is listening, but not listening. He's like preoccupied with the stones. And he's like, Buffy, I think we should concentrate on this now. And she's like, oh, okay. So clearly Mm. he didn't pick up on the hint. And he puts the blue stone in front of her again. And Buffy starts to stare at it. And then she kind of goes into a trance and just keeps staring. And Giles checks. He's like, Buffy? And she doesn't respond. So then he goes into his bag, takes out this box that has a syringe and a vial in it. 
he rolls up Buffy's sleeves and he injects her with whatever is in that bottle. And she's zoned out. She doesn't realize this is happening. And we're all like, what is you doing, Giles? Like, what are you doing? So when he's done, he puts everything away and he waves his hand in front of Buffy and she comes out of her trance. She's like, oh, did I zone out? My, I'm sorry. And I'm nursing that flu bug. And Giles is acting like nothing happened. And he's like, okay, well, maybe you should go home. So Buffy leaves and he says, good night. But the way the camera is angled on him and his facial expression is just like, he looks scary. It's like, what's happening, right? Is this actually Giles? Was Giles possessed, yeah. right? Well, that's, I think Ooh. that that's what we're supposed to think at the beginning, right? Is like, Giles wouldn't be doing this on purpose. Um, Surely. You know, there has to be something nefarious. And that's what makes this episode so difficult for us is that the evil committed in this episode is Giles betraying Buffy. And he chooses to do that. And there's no coercion here. And we can talk more about the Watcher's Council and stuff later. But, like, this is Giles. He's not under the influence of an evil spell, right? He's choosing to do this to Buffy of his own free will. And it's it's, it's just... Whew. And, and part of me, what I was thinking about while I was watching this episode is, honestly, I think it's worse like it's so much worse to watch when you know what's going to happen mm -hmm. if you've seen the episode before it, it's harder because you have to watch buffy go through all these stages and you know what's coming and you can you know that low point is coming and you know that those conversations with giles are coming and it just it breaks my heart every single time it's like watching surprise or innocence yeah. when you know what's going to happen right is it's like it, it's so much worse yeah it's such a oh. violation it really is and coming from daddy giles who buffy is basically claiming right here that she trusts him and thinks of him as a father and for him to do this to her is really awful and i'm we're going to talk more about it later for sure on campus the next day, Buffy and Willow are chatting and Buffy is asking how things are going with Amy the rat because remember Gingerbread Amy abandoned Willow and Buffy to burn at the stake and turned herself into a rat. And <laughs> Willow says, good, she loves her new exercise wheel. Her nose wiggles and she's like talking about her like she's a cute little pet. And Buffy's like, oh no, I meant how's it going changing her back into a human being? And Willow's like, oh, yeah, I'm still working on it. But she, I just got her the cutest little bell. <laughs> I thought that was cute. And we cut to Cordelia. And she's getting verbally accosted by a Mitch who's, who said he was waiting for her at the bronze the night before. And she made him look stupid in front of his posse. And Cordelia in classic Cordelia form is saying, first of all, posse is passe. <laughs> like making fun of me. I'm right, I'm right there with you, Cordelia. <laughs> Thank you for critiquing that. Yeah. So firstly. Secondly, uh, she's like, anyone with a teaspoon for brains knows not to make my not to take my flirting seriously, especially with my extenuating circumstances. And he's like, Well, what are those? And she says, Rebound, look it up. <laughs> I love that Cordelia is admitting that she's rebounding. Like, that's a very healthy way to approach this. Yeah, she's like, I know exactly what I'm doing by flirting with every single loser guy like you just to get some attention. And I like that she's like standing up for herself. She's like, get out of my face. Yeah, I, I, I blew you off because I can. And suddenly this guy grabs Cordelia and pushes her against a tree violently. And he's like, we're not through here. So Buffy comes up behind him. Grabs his arm and he pushes Buffy so hard that she falls back over a bench 
and to the ground. And this is really alarming for many reasons. Number one, that this guy is like attacking women on campus and no one is doing anything about it. But B, that he was able to push Buffy the Vampire Slayer to the ground. So Cordelia, bless her, she like she's like, what is your problem? And she pushes him and she starts like slapping him with her like arms <laughs> as he backs up. And Willow goes to help Buffy up, who looks really, really scared now. Ugh, so that was weird. That's a weird scene. So Buffy catches up with Giles in the hallway and says that she got swatted down by some no-neck and rescued by Cordelia. And I was like, what an honor to be rescued by Cordelia. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Buffy wants to know what's happening. She's like, what the hell is happening? And she says she has no strength, no coordination. I throw knives like, and Giles finishes her sentence and says, like a girl? And Buffy says, like, I'm not the slayer. And this hurts because we've already seen Giles inject Buffy with something. Obviously, he knows what's up with her losing her powers. He's just not, she's just choosing not to say it and be manipulative. And it just, it hurts that Buffy is coming to Giles for help and support and validation that something's wrong with her. And he throws the fact that like, oh, you're throwing knives like a girl in her face. And I think that's just very sexist. I agree. I agree it's sexist. I think this is another reason why I'm so ambivalent about parts of this episode is obviously I understand what the writers are trying to accomplish by depowering Buffy and and have her go through this experience. But at the same time, parts of me feel like, I don't know, this feels a little bit inconsistent because as you can see, I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble formulating my thoughts here but it's like part of me feels like Buffy should be reacting to this differently you know Mm -hmm. and and I don't know if we're supposed to take it that it's not just that the drug depowers her but it also like suppresses maybe some of her energy I I don't know it's if there's something that feels off to me a little bit forced maybe about Buffy's characterization and and how much she loses her confidence in herself does does any of that make sense yeah I think so For sure. It's like, why would it only affect her muscles or whatever it is that affects and not her mood or her emotions in that way, for sure. Giles is assuring Buffy that given time, they'll get to the bottom of whatever this anomaly is. And Buffy says, promise me. And he says, I give you my word. Lies. (laughs) And he walks away and like, Anthony Stewart has doing a really good job of like, you know, he's not meeting her eyes in this scene and he's looking properly guilty but also not like he's going through with whatever it is he's doing and we find out right after this because we cut to giles and this old man and we never get the name of the old man but i'm pretty sure his name's quentin and uh they're sitting at the mansion that we saw them at before and the man is telling giles that he's having doubts like giles you're having doubts cruciamentum is not easy for slayer or watcher but it has been done this way for a dozen centuries. When the Slayer turns 18, it's a time-honored rite of passage. And Giles says it's an archaic exercise in cruelty to lock her in this tomb, weakened, defenseless, to unleash that on her. And he's looking at the box at the other end of the room. We're learning something really interesting here. So clearly, this man is of the Watcher's Council. The, there's something called a cruciamentum, which is some sort of trial or tradition that slayers... I believe, I don't know if this is a literal translation because I do not speak Latin. It sounds like made up Latin, but it sounds like crucible to me, right? Mm. So a crucible being 
uh, a bowl where you burn away everything that is irrelevant. Mm. Um, so that's what they're doing here, right? They're taking away her power and they're putting her into this battle and they're saying if she survives, she's going to be stronger and better and we'll know that she's a good slayer. And if she doesn't survive, well, there's always another one where that came from. I know. And Giles is fighting this now. He's saying, if any one of the council still had actual contact with the Slayer, they would see, but I'm the one that's in the thick of it. So here's Giles admitting that the council literally has no contact with the Slayer, something we've known for a while. But why is that, you know? And this man, Quentin, is saying, this is why you're not qualified to make this decision. You're too close. The Slayer's not just physical prowess. She must have cunning imagination, a confidence derived from self-reliance. Believe me, once this is all over, your Buffy will be stronger for it. And Giles says, or she'll be dead for it. <laughs> so, why... <laughs> This is my point. Why does Buffy need to be tested now? She's been the Slayer for three years. She's died once. She saved the world so many times and in brutal ways. Uh, why test her now? See, yeah, I agree with you on that one. It's like, did you not pay attention to the part where she died and came back to life and still managed to kill the master and still managed to stop the world from being sick to hell? It's like... Are you not paying attention? Because it sounds like you're not paying attention. I feel like we can waive this one and you can just go home and drink tea, right? Yeah, like it, it's it's a mightily suspicious why you have to do that now. Just as we said earlier, the Slayer is coming into her own. 18 years old is like verging on adulthood now. And suddenly you want to put her in a test that might kill her. Well, very likely kill her at this point. <sighs> you snaky snakes. So Giles leaving. Giles is leaving. And the man is walking him out and saying, Rupert, if this girl's everything you say, then you have nothing to worry about. And then they hear a man screaming behind them. These two guys and him unlock the, the box that is at the end of the room. And inside is a vampire. And he's in a straitjacket and he's wailing. One of the men takes a pill jar and puts pills on this really long spoon and he says, Kralik, your pills, open your mouth. And he reaches over with the spoon and drops the pills in the vampire's mouth. And then the other guy brings a glass of water, also attached to a long stick, and lets the vampire drink it down. I, I, I want to know where I could get a long spoon like this. <laughs> yeah, only the Watcher's Council. I feel like Council. that would come in handy. <laughs> only the Watcher's Council has it, so you have to sign up. <laughs> so, so this also reminds me of a discussion we had in Amends about medicating vampires. Right. And I was talking about like, can't, you know, can vampires be affected neurologically by pills and stuff? And here we see a vampire being medicated for some reason. And, you know, that's interesting to me. I'm just like, interesting. So th there are some layers to this. Well, they never quite explain what it is he's taking or what it is he's suffering from. Right. It's a mystery. I think the implication is that the pills are antipsychotic medication. And, and, and one thing I, I did want to discuss at some point is how you know like you brought up the horror tropes here and we've got the misogynistic psychopathic killer but part of me is like this is once again we are conflating mental illness with being violent and psychopathic right? right and i do not appreciate that well and i do want to talk a little bit more about this test too because was it on purpose that they wanted this like psychopathic vampire was that like a part of the test or yes yeah i think they choose the worst of the worst yeah and of course, the worst of the worst are mentally ill. Yeah, like, so I'm, I, there must be like a dedicated team on the Watcher's Council that preps for this test whenever there's a Slayer who's about to turn 18, right? And 
And I guess they're scrambling to prep for faith as well. It's like, oh, damn, now there's two slaves. What do we do? We need an extra vampire stat. <laughs> yeah, because this vampire has to be, like, obviously a little bit scarier than your average one, I guess. But yeah, but the, actually, I do want to bring up, because we just learned what this test was and we talked a little bit about it, Emma has written into us for a hot steak and she brought up this point which i think we should talk about now and she says it's been mentioned before on your show but i think the watchers council does not want a long-lasting slayer as a slayer matures the more difficult she is to control i do think the council tries to have a new slayer every three or five years the test is probably just one of the ways the council tries to cut short a slayer's lifespan yeah like that's exactly what this is because it just so happens buffy's turning 18 but mm -hmm. she is already proving by the end of this episode, we see that she's becoming difficult to handle because she's getting independent, she's getting a voice, and she's starting to see the council for what they really are, and she's going to start pushing back. So it does make sense. Well, I also have to wonder, you know, we've been told that it's happened for like over a millennium at this point. Maybe they rig the test, right? So if the Slayer is malleable and... Uh, they, they can manipulate her. They make the test pretty easy and she passes. Mm -hmm. But if the Slayer is troublesome, like Buffy, mm -hmm. then they make the test so hard that she probably can't get through it, right? And it's like, you know, they, they rig the game. Because I'm thinking like, okay, you know, 600, 800 years ago, maybe like it was a lot easier to raise Slayers that were a little bit more amenable because they didn't have access to things like TV and ice shows to teach them all of these, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, all of these revolutionary American ways. So it's almost like as the world gets more connected, as it's easier for girls and women to grow up with minds of their own, uh, they've got to make these tests harder and harder. And, and it's interesting to think, think about how the Watchers Council has had to adapt over the years, perhaps as their slayers become more independently minded. Yeah. I mean, that's the patriarchy. <laughs> like we got to find different and more inventive and cruel ways to keep these women under our control, right? So thanks, Emma, for that hot steak. But also, um, what a sobering idea this is. And I'm not liking this Watchers Council, Cara. Uh, also, I want to point out, Emma does give a shout out to Anthony Stewart Head's glasses acting and how he constantly whips his glasses off <laughs> and then puts them back on uh, as like a dramatic pause. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate you mentioning this, Emma, because I have always thought about the way Giles uses his glasses. And there have been times in my life when I have tried to emulate that, but unfortunately I cannot see with my glasses. So <laughs> It's a little different for I you. I don't leave them off for very long. Yeah, yeah. I like that she brought that up too because I also, um, I, I mean, I do a lot of TikToks. If anyone is following Prophecy Girls on TikTok, I sometimes mimic Giles in my little skits and I like to take my glasses on and off because I've also noticed that he does that. So. <laughs> okay, so we go to the library. The Scoobies are researching and helping Buffy out. They're trying to find what could potentially be wrong with her and Xander suggests that she's got Slayer Kryptonite and Oz pipes in and says, faulty metaphor kryptonite kills and then him and xander go back and forth about kryptonite which is of course one of superman's weakness one of his biggest weaknesses is kryptonite rocks and this is such a nerdy thing for them to be talking about i love it though because i like the superman i like the well, comics and also it's a conversation between xander and Oz. so think back to the previous episode where they couldn't have a conversation 
in the lineup to the cafeteria. Now they're having a conversation. Maybe Oz is sniping Xander a little bit here and being like, yeah, Xander, you're not a real nerd, but it's a con like this is progress. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and they're all coming together to help Buffy out. Right. And, you know, the way this season has gone so far, it's like, good, good group work, group effort. I like it. So Buffy gets annoyed. She's like, you know, can we get back to reality? And she goes to walk away. And Willow follows her and's like, you know, Buffy, I know you are definitely, without a doubt, going to get your powers back. But what if you don't? And here Buffy has to contemplate that. And she's like, well, then I don't. I'll deal. There's a whole lot of good side to that, right? And that's when Giles comes in and Buffy asks him if he found anything. And he's like, no, not yet. And cuts her off and goes to his office. But it is interesting that Buffy in this episode is struggling with the idea of not being the Slayer. And we get more into that conversation in a little bit. But it is such a drastic change from how she would have behaved if this had happened to her two years ago, right? So it's another reason why the Watcher's Council might be ready to snuff out an older Slayer if they're getting a little bit too comfortable mm -hmm. thinking too hard about what their identity is as a Slayer. So at the mansion, Kralik starts screaming again. So this one guy goes to go help him and the other guy sleeps in the other room. As he goes to get the water glass filled, Kralik is very clearly ripping his straight jacket. Like he's he's managed, he's so strong, he's managed to rip it up and his arm is going to be loose. So the man returns and tries to put the spoon in the vampire's mouth and he's like, can't see, bring closer, where is it? <laughs> so funny. And um, so unfortunately, this guy does step closer. Kralik takes his one arm out, grabs him, lifts him up by the neck and says, shh, everything's okay now. And we cut to the next scene. Rookie mistake. Come on, dude. Have you not watched any movie? Like, of course, this vampire that you've secured is going to break out. Like, that's that's just how it works. You should be aware of that. You shouldn't be getting that close. Yeah, and I have the same words for Joyce later in this episode. <laughs> so at Angel's uh, mansion, the charcuterie board is gone, but Angel is still very much there. And he's giving Buffy her present. And it's a book of sonnets. And he wrote, always on it which in a, that's my best snape voice <laughs> so cute so cute so buffy says thank you it's beautiful and angel asks her if she likes it and she's like of course i do it's sweet and thoughtful and full of neat words to learn like wilt and henceforth <laughs> ah modern girl and angel asks well then how come you were more excited last year when she got a severed arm in a box Buffy says, well, suddenly there's a chance for her calling that her calling is a wrong number and it's freaking her out. And what if she lost her power? And Angel is reassuring her and saying, you know, she lived a long time without them so she can do it again. And Buffy says, well, I guess, but what if I can't? I've seen too much. I know what goes bump in the night and not being able to fight it. Like, what if I hide under my bed all scared and helpless? What if I just become pathetic Hanging out old Slayer's home, talking people's ears off about the glory days, showing them Mr. Pointy the steak I had bronzed. <laughs> and I love that Buffy's sharing her fears with Angel. I love this scene. I think yeah. it's so nice. It, this is a really touching scene. It gets even better, right? Mm -hmm. When Buffy goes on, you know, Angel's trying to reassure her. And Buffy's like, oh, you know, before I was the Slayer. And it's almost like you could see like the wavy flashback going across the screen. Yeah. Dooly doo, dooly doo. Yeah. We're thinking back to the movie. <laughs> yeah. You know, she's like, I don't want to say I was shallow, but let's say a certain person who will remain nameless, we'll call her Spordelia, 
uh, looked like the classical philosopher compared to me. So I, this is what I love about the show is it, it, it's shouting out to itself, right? It's like, yes, Cordelia is who Buffy could have been if Buffy hadn't become the Slayer. You and I have talked about this before, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So um, Buffy's freaking out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just, I just love that Angel in his reassurance of her. He's like, well, you can never be helpless or boring, not even if you tried, right? And he's just like listening to her like she's worried she's scared that she's going to turn back into somebody she's not anymore because being a slayer has become her identity over the last three years and that's such a great progress for buffy who fought this identity for so long and now it's like without it she's like well angel if i'm not the slayer what do i do what do i have to offer why would you like me I love these two. And Angel's like, I saw you before. He's, he confesses. He's like, I saw you before you became a slayer. So he says, I, I, I saw you called. It was a bright afternoon in front of your school. You walked down the steps and I loved you. And Buffy's like, why? And he says, because I could see your heart. You held it before you for everyone to see. And I worried it would be bruised or torn. or more. And more than anything in my life, I wanted to keep it safe, to warm it with my own. And Buffy hugs him and says, that's beautiful. And then after a pause, she says, or taken literally, incredibly gross. And Angel says, I was just thinking that too. <laughs> so sometimes this show, you know, stomps all over its own vibe and mood. <laughs> and it's always so satisfying when they do it. But yeah, it's like we're saying, Carl, like this is a just, it's a really touching scene for me because if you notice, like the last couple episodes, Buffy and Angel have been having these nice moments where they're supporting each other and they're helping each other get through these difficult periods mm-hmm. and they're listening to each other and they're offering actual support. And in this way, we don't really know if they're together or not, but they clearly have a very important comfort in each other's life at the moment and they're leaning on each other a lot and if anything their relationship is more deep right now than it has ever been well who else can she talk to about this she can't talk to giles because he's acting really weird Mm -hmm. and she can't talk to her mom because her mom still does not understand the whole slayer gig can't talk to faith because apparently faith is missing right now and you know, can't talk to Willow and Xander because they don't get it. They, they, they're they not part of that world mm-hmm. as Buffy is. So, you know, Angel is this person who can listen, he can relate, and he's not judging her. And that is so powerful and so beautiful in a relationship, whether it's romantic or platonic. It's just like having that person who's not going to judge you uh, and who's going to hold you, yeah. you know, even metaphorically, right? And just... it's nice after all of what we talked about in season one and two the less savory aspects of Buffy and Angel's relationship Mm -hmm. right and and we have been harsh on them at times it is very nice to see that there are healthy aspects to their relationship how they're both confidants for each other I think this is a, a different dynamic from what we saw the previous year before he lost his soul they are so lusty last year. This year, like you can see they're having an actual mature and more adult relationship with each other. I don't know how I feel about the fact that like, you know, maybe it's because they're abstaining from sex, right? That they're like falling deeper into each other emotionally because they're not so caught up in sex well, right now. But, but I think that's part of it, right? And the writers may not be intending that message, mm-hmm. but I certainly like to take the message home that 
sex is not the same as intimacy mm-hmm. and sometimes relationships again regardless of the type of relationship a relationship is stronger when sex either isn't a part of it or it is a less important aspect of the relationship because you you need those other forms of connection yeah and i totally agree with you and this is why i like the progression over it's been three seasons of us with buffy and angel and Mm -hmm. it's like an actual relationship where the first couple months you're in honeymoon phase right you're you're lusty you're making out all the time like you, you can't get enough of each other it is later in the relationship when you really dig down and you have these emotional connections and that's what they're they're showing us in this relationship it's so beautifully built one of the achievements of the show is the way Buffy and Angel's love story was rolled out. And we're seeing a really nice time period for their relationship in these next couple episodes. And I also want to point out that, you know, he brought up the scene we saw in Becoming Part One. And he says, like, I loved you, right? Like, I loved you right away. And I don't know if that's true or not. I actually kind of think that he's saying that to Buffy just to make her feel seen and to help her feel better. Well, he might think it's true, mm-hmm. right? Like our memories play tricks on us. And I think we are all susceptible to revising our memories. Yeah. So you and I might disagree with that statement because we saw the quote unquote objective version of events thanks to the flashbacks yeah. in Becoming. But he might genuinely have convinced himself that that is the story. It's true. Yeah. So that, that's why I know that a lot of people would get caught up and they're like, oh, he watched her outside her school. Like we've had this conversation. Go watch Angel on Trial. But right. um, uh, I mean, the fact that he confesses to it here and, and explains it, yeah. you know, points to him for actually bringing it up. He should probably have brought it up when they first met. For but sure. At least he did bring well, it up. He's bringing it up now and he's bringing it up to make her feel better. He's like, even before, sure, when you were Spordelia back then, you were still a wonderful person. Right. And it's only going to get better from here. So I think, you know, 10 out of 10, you know what? 11 out of 10 for the scene for Buffy and Angel. I love it. So we cut to the mansion. Kralik is licking his fingers and he's humming. And the man that he killed is on the floor and he vamps out and gets up and starts breaking Kralik out of the box as he rambles on about songs that are stuck in his head and they, you know, they make him go nuts. Ha 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 ha. Because like you said, there's a lot of references to mental health that don't sit well with us. Um, as soon as he gets out, he takes more pills and drinks more water. And he's telling this other vampire now, it's a game, you know, we're not going to play by their rules, but that doesn't mean we're not going to play. Why don't you call your friend in here and we can discuss it over dinner? This is the first time we see somebody turn into a vampire before our eyes. Ooh. So, like, you know, we, we've seen the process of a vampire feeding on a human and then letting the human feed on their blood, right? But then there's always some kind of time lapse and it cuts to, okay, now that person's a vampire. Here we see the person is unconscious. We see there's the holes in his neck. He's being drained. And and then we see the holes disappear and we see his face transform. And it's like this because normally they're buried when this happens. Right. And we don't see it happen. We just see them break out of the grave. So I just I want I that was something I was thinking about when I watched the show. And I just wanted to point that out. This this is kind of a a special moment. Great eye. Also, it's again, pointing out the inconsistency of how long it takes to turn into a vampire. Sometimes it's a couple hours. Sometimes it's days. (laughs) Like It just depends, I guess, on how if you're being buried or not. 
And uh, and then we cut to Giles, who's entering the mansion, and he's calling out for these people, for the men, but no one answers, and something is afoot. So Giles sees that there's blood on the banister, and he freaks out. He breaks off a piece of the banister, so he has a stake now. He sees that the box is empty, so obviously Kralik is missing. And then he goes into the kitchen, and we don't see the body we see a bloody arm on the table and giles's reaction to it and he looks like he's gonna puke and he like freaks out and he runs out of the house and i was like i want to know what they did with that body because for giles to react in such a way like giles who has seen multiple dead bodies at the morgue Mm -hmm. giles who found jenny's body in his own bed Mm -hmm. and like let's not forget like even xander found all of the bodies in ted's closet back in season two and in season one willow found a room full of dead bodies at the school so like we're we're finding dead bodies all over the place in sunnydale and for giles to react like this to this one dead body i was like well what could it possibly have been (laughs) well i'm also just like this is terrible security why did you only have two guys one at a time watching this vampire if he's so strong right like why didn't you bring could you only afford you know, four seats on the airplane. Well, it must have been a private plane. You can't. You How can't are you gonna make bring the vampire? Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm just like thinking like all the logistics here, of course. And I'm just like, man, Quentin. I want to say Quentin fucked up, but I feel like Quentin meant all of this to happen. Yeah, Quentin's like, yes, yes, it's all going to. Plan. Like he sacrificed those two guys. He's like. I'm going to let Kralik break out. Like, I'm pretty sure Quentin's just like, you know, the house is wired and he's just like sitting in his hotel room going, yes, it's all going according to plan. Quentin's brother is that old man from Homecoming who was at the the solar stuff. Uh, We are really uncovering the layers of this show. Can can we get the Watchers Council to hire Mr. Trick and he can make a badass logo for the cruciamentum damn why isn't mr trick the villain in this test he would have been so good slayer fest 99 you know what i'm saying oh you know he would have booby trapped that house fuck yeah he would have recorded it all for us too so anyway on the street buffy is walking home alone and looking super scared and i was like girl like, this was so real to me. This is so real because every woman feels this walking home yeah. alone. Doesn't matter if you're in Sunnydale. Doesn't matter if you're on a very busy street, even. You feel scared to walk alone. And I hate that she gets sexually harassed here because it is so real. Yes. It, it, Thank you. It's so real. And why? Why does Buffy need to get sexually harassed by these two guys at a truck to make her look vulnerable? We already know she's vulnerable from the monsters around her. So why does yeah, it, I, why, I, you know? Thank you for bringing that up because I, I really had a difficult time with this scene and I, I even had trouble writing down notes about it because I'm, I'm just not sure how to talk about it. Um, but I, I, so I think what I would say based on what you're saying here is the, the portrayal of, well, Buffy's powerless, so now she's being sexually harassed is problematic for me because what the episode is saying is... It's Buffy's fault for being powerless that she's being made to feel this way by the people. Like, did she just not get sexually harassed when she was when she had her Slayer powers and walked alone at night? No, right? She, like, did just she, people just notice? She's like, been sexually harassed so many times. Like, remember in Anne, she, like that trucker slapped her ass when she chose not to react to it. 
Larry's grabbed her ass. Right. I mean, that was those were different circumstances. Though, yeah, right? like, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'm just saying. But like that's that. But that is what I'm saying, yeah. right? Is like, what is different about this night and her walking home alone, other than her having her powers? She must be catcalled and stuff when she has her Slayer powers. The show just hasn't showed that to us. So there's just something really icky to me about how the show is equating Buffy's powerlessness with her vulnerability to sexual harassment. You know, and I completely understand that maybe they're trying to draw a parallel between the fact that sexual harassment and sexual assault are about power, Mm -hmm. not about sex. But just like it doesn't sit right with me because it's reducing Buffy's power to her sexuality, to her vulnerability and saying, well, Buffy, now that you don't have Slayer powers, um, you know, it's your fault that these guys are getting to you adding this rapiness to something that's already making her vulnerable it's like when here's our shout out to go fish but remember it's like why was her not getting eaten by the monsters bad enough why did she have to potentially get raped by the fish monsters like it's just adding that extra layer yeah. is really uncomfortable for me and also this was a triggering scene for me because i've also been that girl walking down the street alone and one time two men did grab me and grope me and then laugh and walk away and I was 23, I think, when that happened. So putting this in here in this, like, it is real, but to the point where I don't think it needed to be in here at all. Ooh, like, I just, yeah, this was hard for me. So Buffy chooses not to react to it, because what can she really do? And that's another part of her vulnerability here that's hard to watch. And I do wish that Angel had walked her home, as she says, right? She says, like, walk me home, Angel. No, I'm fine. I can take care of myself. Like, clearly, she he offered, and she was like, no, no, I'm fine. And then she starts to hear humming and she's like nervous and she's like Hummer's big turn off. I like guys that can remember the lyrics, which I liked. But of course, when she turns around, she runs directly into Kralik and he says, you know, I wish I could, but my mind just isn't what it used to be. So there's another draw to his mental illness. And Buffy starts to struggle as he grabs onto her and she manages to pull away from her, him, but he has her jacket in his arms and the other vampire comes up um, behind her and chases her and Buffy's screaming for help. She's screaming like, somebody please help me. And she's running down the alley and no one is coming and she manages to squeeze underneath a fence just as the vampire's grabbing at her legs. And she goes into the middle of the street and one car literally like refuses to stop for her to help her. Keeps going. And then the next car happens to be Giles. So they get into the car and the vampire holds onto the car for a bit and then falls. And we see Kralik watching them drive away with her coat. And I will add here too that Buffy obviously clearly dropped her gift from angel at some point in this tussle and that makes me sad (laughs) in the library buffy's traumatized she's wrapped in a blanket and she's telling giles when the vampire hit me it was like my arm was broken it hurt so much i can't be just a person i can't be helpless like that giles we have to figure out what's happening to me So Giles confesses and he pulls out the syringe and says it's an organic compound of muscle relaxants and adrenal suppressors. And the effect is temporary. You'll be yourself again in a few days. And Buffy just looks at it and she says, you? And Giles says, it's a test, Buffy. Mm. It's given to the Slayer once 
or if she reaches her 18th birthday. The Slayer is disabled and then entrapped with a vampire foe, which she must defeat in order to pass the test. The vampire you were to face has escaped. His name is Zachary Kralik, and as a mortal, he murdered and tortured more than a dozen women before he was committed to an asylum for the criminally insane. So he stops here because Buffy throws the like the box with the needle in it at him and misses. And she calls him a bastard. And she said, all this time you saw what it was doing to me. All this time you didn't say a word. And I want to pause here and think about like, so now we know Zachary Kralik's background. He was a murderer and torturer of many women. One can assume that he also probably raped these women because whenever, you know, I, I, I always just think of these psychopaths, like, you know, the Ted Bundys of the world again. And that's what he's being compared to. And I'm like, I can only imagine. But the fact that the Watchers chose this particular criminal this particular person to become a vampire and i'm assuming they turned him and then they're the ones that sick him on this girl i'm very alarmed well i don't know that they turned him it's possible that they just captured him right yeah um we don't know how like when he was active i will say watching this episode last night was very difficult because last night that yesterday was when, when we were recording this as of yesterday it was the 32nd anniversary of the Ecole Polytechnique massacre in Montreal where a man came into the school and shot and killed 14 women who were training to be engineers and he made comments at the time that indicated he, he was killing them because they were women and he was tired of feminism. This happened in 1989, the year I was born. And, you know, thinking about that day while watching an episode where the villain is a woman-hating psychotic vampire um, puts a new kind of weight onto what's going on in this episode. Yeah. Giles says he wanted to tell her. And she calls him a liar, and she's absolutely right. And Giles says, in matters of tradition and protocol, I must answer to the council. My role in this was very specific. I was to administer the ejections and direct you to the old boarding house on Prescott Lane. And now Buffy is freaking out. She's grabbing her hair. She's saying she can't take this. She can't hear this. She's crying. She says, "How? who are you? How could you do this to me? And it's so true. Like, the betrayal here is next level like yeah Buffy lied to Giles at the beginning of the season that Angel was back and he was upset about this but this is violation and this is like next yeah. level betrayal the fact that Buffy earlier this episode was alluding to the fact that she saw Giles as her actual father since her other father blew her off and now this father figure injected her with something that made her weak well and, and like he was gonna send her into a life-threatening situation like that yes and he's part of this ploy that could well, potentially well, that, kill her that's, that's where you hit the nail on the head right there because what i think is so clever about this scene and about giles's role in the episode in general is this is a great example of how allies can still do harm and still uphold oppressive systems that they belong to. So up until this point in the show, we've tended to think of Giles as one of the good ones, right? Okay, yeah, he's a man, but he, he you know, he's a good one. Um, but even men who are generally good allies towards women and other people of, of marginalized genders 
um, they can still uphold patriarchy mm-hmm. because they can still participate in these oppressive systems. Just like, you know, it doesn't matter how much I learn about race and racism and oppression as a white person, I'm still upholding white supremacy and whiteness sometimes. And I think that this would still be the case if Buffy Slayer were a woman, because women can still uphold patriarchy when they are part of these patriarchal systems. And that's what we're seeing in this scene is Giles says, you know, I had no choice because I report to the Watchers Council, which is, you know, like patriarchy personified. Mm -hmm. And that's bullshit. You had a choice, Giles. You could have resisted. You could have said no and been an ally. But you were co-opted by the patriarchy. You weren't able to resist your upbringing, your training in that sense. So yes, you are generally a good ally. But this is a great example in TV of how even good allies can maintain oppressive systems, even when they have the best of intentions. And I, and I, I just wanted to point that out yeah. as kind of like a discussion of systemic oppression, right? Yeah, great point. And I think Buffy sees that now and... She says, if you touch me, I'll kill you. I think Buffy's reaction in this scene is entirely understandable. Mm -hmm. And like it reminded me of Prophecy Girl and the way she freaked out about being 16 and not wanting to die. Mm -hmm. You know, and and I think she was much more level headed in Prophecy Girl because it was the prophecy that was threatening her. But now it's Giles, whom she loves, is threatening her. Yeah, her parental So she's losing her shit. And... And like again, like oh. I just keep coming back to the fact that she thinks that Giles is her father. So the betrayal here, like you, 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 like you put me up to die. Like what are you? Like I trusted you. Like who am I supposed to trust now? Yeah. Oh, so nobody exactly. Not Xander. Well, uh, Angel. <laughs> so Giles is now in tears too when he says, "You have to listen to me because I told you. Now that I told you, the test is invalidated. You will be safe now. I promise you. And whatever I have to do to deal with Kralik and to win back your trust." And Buffy says, "You stuck a needle in me. You poisoned me." And isn't it funny? Isn't it interesting how Giles is? Kind of like, okay, like, yeah, yeah, it's invalidated now, and I'm going to make you safe, and I'm going to make this better. I'm going to, like, you have to trust me. Like, I'm going to win it back, blah, blah, blah. Where when Buffy let down Giles in the previous episode, Revelations, she just took it very quietly, right? The fact that he no longer trusted her. And she was like, I'm going to make this right, but in a quiet way, where, where Giles here is kind of, like, coming out very vocally and being like, I, I like, what can I do? What can I do, right? I, I mean... Giles has never been a dad before, so that we know of. Ah, <laughs> uh, so Cordelia comes in. <laughs> Cordelia comes in at this moment, and she's like, "What's going on?" And she reads the room. She sees that things are tense, and she says, "Oh God, is the world ending? Oh, I have Cordelia. to research a paper on Bosnia for tomorrow. But if the world's ending, I'm not going to bother." <laughs> I love you, Cordelia. <laughs> oh my God! And Buffy's like, she goes to leave. And Giles is like, you can't walk home, Buffy. It's not safe. And Buffy says, I don't know you. And it's like so chilling the way she says it. But of course, Cordelia says, Giles, she says to Giles, did something take her memory? He's Giles. Giles. He hangs out here a lot. <laughs> and Buffy's like, Cordelia, will you drive me home? And Cordelia sees how serious she is. And she's like, of course. But then before she goes, she turns to Giles and says, but if the world doesn't end, I'm going to need a note. <laughs> leave. Oh, what an ending. Like, there's no so, other way to end that scene except to have Cordelia come in with comic relief. It's, it's quite brilliant. It defuses some of that tension. But when Buffy asks Cordelia 
to drive her home. Oh, that hit me because that's like because the way that Cordelia, I think in that moment, Cordelia's brain finally shuts off her mouth and she realizes something a lot more serious is happening. And I like that she doesn't hesitate. And it's that solidarity of women in the sense of like, I don't need to know the story. I can just see that you're in pain and something is very wrong and I am going to help you. You know, and she doesn't need an explanation. She doesn't need, you know, justification. I, you know, the way that she's like, well, I'm going to need a note afterwards. That's just Cordy being Cordy. Yeah. But it's like, you know, she and Buffy have not been on the best of terms in recent months. There's still no hesitation there. Yeah. And, and I think that's really like, you know, when we're talking about things being triggering here, it's like, even like positive things can be triggering sometimes because it's like, ooh, like you shouldn't have to have that solidarity, but it's there. There it is nonetheless. And uh, yeah, that's a great trait for Cordelia's character too, right? Like she can have compassion. I like how you framed her brain clicked in long enough to shut off her mouth because that is <laughs> an issue with Cordelia. Really. No filter, right? She just says it, says it, says it. But here she's like, I see you. Of course, I'll drive you home. And really, when you think about it, like Cordelia is more of an ally to Buffy in this episode than anyone else at the because like Buffy came to Cordelia's defense and then Cordelia came to Buffy's defense when they were fighting off that random. And now here she is driving her Is home. Cordelia more of an ally than Angel? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just like when I make you pick between your two favorites. <laughs> it's just, it's just, oh, no, 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 no. No one comes close to Angel in this episode. So... <laughs> At Buffy's house, Joyce is writing checks, probably to her dealer, <laughs> and she goes outside to investigate a noise. And I was like, Joyce, why? Why are you going outside to investigate noise? Wait, wait, wait. Do you think that Joyce pays her dealer by check? I do. <laughs> so this dealer's taking a check. Like, what does does Joyce write in the memo spot? Like drugs <laughs> for my weed? Like. Is this dealer cashing checks at a bank? Like, clearly, Stephanie, you've never bought drugs. I've never bought drugs, and I know that's not cash first, cash only. <laughs> uh, well, whatever. She's writing checks at her at her table. I can only assume that that's what she's putting them toward. So, but the point is, that, yeah, she goes outside and she sees someone lying there in Buffy's coat, and of course, it's Kralik who turns over and says, "Mother," and I was like, "Keep it, Joyce." Joyce, yeah. your daughter is the Slayer. It is nighttime. Yeah. You know your only protection, and it's not barely protection, is being inside your house. Do not go outside and investigate noises, you fool. <laughs> oh, it's bad. It's bad. So Joyce gets stolen because <laughs> Buffy comes inside through the back door. Joyce is taken. So we need to call Liam Neeson right now. <laughs> Buffy calls up Kralik and says, I will find you. <laughs> I have a particular set of skills. And then Kralik says, good luck. And then the hunt begins. <laughs> well, well, Kralik tells her where to find her, right? So that's very convenient. Oh, this was actually, yeah, the, the origin stories of the movie Taken. Um, some trivia for anyone who didn't know that. Um, but Buffy comes in through the back door. Strangely enough, she, she Cordelia drops her off in front of the house. I assume Buffy walks around the back, comes in um, just to I think she did it because she wanted to dramatically throw the bouquet of flowers from her real father into the garbage. And she was like, father figures are pieces of shit. I'm not into it anymore. Then she drops. She goes to the front door and the door is open and she finds a Polaroid that Kralik took 
that has him holding Joyce by the neck and on the back it says, come. Okay, so question. Where did he get the Polaroid camera from? Was it in the mansion? Did the British guys have a Polaroid camera lying around? Was it in Buffy's house? Was it just lying on the table and he was opportunistic? Or did he tell Joyce, he's like, so before we go... I'm going to need a Polaroid camera. Do you have one? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if not, like he runs to the corner store. Like, like I, I'm just confused. Where did the camera the, come the, from? The timeline in my mind is that after he got Buffy's jacket, he went to the corner store and got a Polaroid as well as a marker to write cum on the back. Oh, yes. Okay. you're And tape. You got that tape makes too. So much sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. The, the local staples. Um, and then, it, so he came prepared, right? And this is a very, actually, this puts him up there with Angelus, who would have done the very same thing. <laughs> like, always come no, no, with your no. props. No, 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 Angelus would sketch Buffy's mom. Oh, true, 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 true. He doesn't need a Polaroid. I know, this is what makes Cray, like, a little less creative. So, yeah, Buffy goes to her room and puts holy water in her pocket and packs her bag of all of her weapons, and she walks out with it. And I do like this little touch where when she's walking out of the room, it's clear that the bag is like super heavy and she's like kind of leaning over because it's heavy. And any other time that she's carried her bag or thrown it through her bedroom window, it's like feathers, <laughs> right? So there is a difference yeah, here. good point. Yeah. So another question. Why does Buffy go alone? Oh, I asked myself exactly the same question. <laughs> like you have a super powered vampire boyfriend, Buffy. Who's handsome. So why don't you go to the mansion get Angel, be like, I need backup here. And he'd be like, yeah, cor- like, I'm not doing anything. I'm just reading. Like, of course. I'm eating this big baguette He's he like, left. I'm in the middle of my charcuterie. <laughs> What's more important, your mom or my charcuterie? Angel has been Instagramming the charcuterie boards that he's put together. <laughs> oh my God, you're so right. Angel would be all about the gram. <laughs> he... He would, he would pretend not to like it. Like I'm thinking, you know, he'd pretend to hate it, but secretly... He would be like all about the arrangements of the photos. Oh, absolutely. He would be hashtag foodie, hashtag foodstagram. (laughs) Hashtag hashtag foodborn. Charcucci board. Yeah, like he'd be doing the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) So, but anyway, this is the part of the episode that makes zero sense to me. Yeah. Um, And I I can see, I can predict some of the arguments people might make like, oh, Buffy's not thinking clearly. Buffy wants to go rescue her mom. Buffy wants to prove. No, like... Angel has powers. Angel can take on vampires with you. Like, sure, go with him. Maybe Buffy thinks that Angel wouldn't let her come along out of a sense of trying to protect her. And maybe she doesn't trust that. And she's like, well, I need to be there to... But it's uh, it's like Angel is a secret weapon here. Yes, I know. And this is the thing, too, is like, <sighs> I get it. Like, Buffy needs to do this on her own. This is this is Buffy's own test. She's like, no, I can do this. Or she's like, just so preoccupied with saving her mom. She doesn't have time. Like, like let's, let's put it this way. I would have accepted even something as simple as the writers being like, like Angel giving her her gift like a day early because he has to like go out of town for some reason, mm. right? And they just kind of get rid of him. But it just, it feels like a loose thread to me. He's on a walkabout, just like Faith. Like, just like, <laughs> like, just like missing that episode. Yeah. Or I wouldn't, <laughs> it would be funny if she showed up and she was like, you know, this guy attacked me and I dropped the book and my mom's kidnapped. I need you to come with me. And he was like, you dropped the book? <laughs> like, as in, like, you did not <laughs> 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 
<laughs> anyway, so yeah, uh, we cut to the the the, the house, and Kralik is taking Polaroids of Joyce, um, who's tied to a chair and her mouth is bound. And he's talking about his own mother, and he's giving us some backstory on him. And he's like, you know, his mom had no self-respect, so she took away his. When he was 10 years old, she had scissors, and you wouldn't believe what she did with those. But she's dead to me now. It's because I killed an eater. And he tells Joyce that he's not going to kill Buffy. He's going to make her like him. And then when she goes to sleep, she'll wake up, and her mother's face will be the first thing that she eats. And he admits that he has a problem with mothers. He's aware of that. And I was like, damn, this is some dark ass serial killer shit. You know what I'm saying? Well, and that's, you know, callback to nightmares. Yeah. Because that's Buffy's greatest nightmare, right? It's being turned. I really like this actor. And I know we'll see him again in the future. Minor spoiler. But like, he does a really good job of playing off this character. Because, you know, we could have gotten a Luke or Judge. Just like this wooden kind of vampire who's big and strong. But this guy's like a psychopath. And it actually is quite scary to me. Uh, I think he's doing a good job. Buffy enters the mansion and she opens the door with, and she leaves a stake. She props it open with a stake. And she has her crossbow out and she's walking around looking for her mom. And then the vampire takes the stake out of the door and like clicks. And he's like, oh, like, <laughs> like she heard me. And <laughs> we cut to Giles, who's in the library on the phone. And Quentin walks in. I think his name is Quentin. I know we said earlier, like, that's what we think it is. But they never say. I just I just think it's Quentin. And um, Giles is saying that he was trying to get a hold of him. And did you see what happened at the boarding house and he's like yes i saw <laughs> and Giles is like you know the guy killed hobson and blair and turned blair into one of his own your perfectly controlled test seems to have spun rather impressively out of control don't you think and the man's like nothing's changed <laughs> changes nothing so you're right car he probably <laughs> planned for that to happen the whole time and G- giles says that he's told buffy everything and Quentin's like, well, that's in direct opposition of the council's orders. Giles says, I don't give a rat's ass about the council's orders. There will be no test. Okay, Giles, like, it's too late. <laughs> it's way too late for this. But I am glad that he's starting to break away from that patriarchy and the tradition. Like, he's, like, standing up for Buffy now. It's a little, little too late. A little bit late, though, yeah. Little right. Late, like... but, like, he's doing it. And... Quentin says the test has already begun. The Slayer entered the field of play 10 minutes ago and he returned just as as she was entering the house. So Giles gets up and he tries, like Quentin tries to get in Giles' way and saying like, this is no business of, uh, business of ours. And Giles pushes him against the door and says, this is not business. And he leaves. So the vampire's attacking Buffy and she puts up a pretty good fight. First, though, she shoots the crossbow and misses terribly. And I was like, Buffy, he was like two feet in front of you, though. Like, I feel like you could have hit him. When has the crossbow ever worked for her? Even <laughs> with powers, right? Like, the master just caught it out of the air. You know, the crossbow seems like the least effective weapon here. And even in that alternate reality, the master pushed Xander in front of it. So you're right. It, like, very rarely works. He, uh, well, she did hit the judge with it in innocence remember yes but it didn't do anything no it didn't but she did she did manage Crossbow, to hit hashtag worst weapon <laughs> she should get that glass again she should get that big shard of glass that really worked out for her <sighs> so 
She fights off this vampire pretty good, to be honest. Like, she stomps on his foot and, like, pushes him away. And she pushes a bookshelf onto him and bashes his face in with a fire poker or something. Classic Cordelia moves. <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, she really did learn something. She just needed a spatula. So she she gets her bag of weapons and she starts to run away. And she hears uh, Kralik somewhere in the house going, hide and seek. Hide and seek. <laughs> like, he's, like, <laughs> like, stalking her. And he pops out of nowhere and grabs her by the neck and he says, why did you come to the dark of the wood to bring all these sweets to grandmother's house? And that's a reference to Red Riding Hood. Yeah. Did you catch that? Because when I, I it wasn't until I heard him say this and then I, like she was wearing that red coat earlier. Yeah, there's some interesting kind of really like not subtle references, but it's also like. I don't get it. Yeah, but I don't get it either. But also, like, following the the trails of gingerbread, which was last week, like, did they just all read a bunch of fairy tales, like, that month in the writer's Maybe room? Maybe we should listen to the episode backward and see if there's, like, hidden satanic messages. <laughs> there must be. <laughs> there surely must be. So anyway, yeah, there's some sort of Red Riding Hood thing here where, like like maybe like she has to like like the wolf's gonna eat her and then she'll eat her family like her mother i don't know i don't know i'm not i'm I'm not smart enough to figure it out so he's trying to bite her and buffy pushes him back because she has a stake in her hand and first you think it's working but then he laughs and he pushes the stake against his body and it's burning and he's like oh oh yes oh thank you very much right and buffy runs to the kitchen and locks the door and she sees the body, but she doesn't react the way Giles does. She's just like, oh my God, whatever. And she's she leaves on the other side of the kitchen. She's moving very slowly. Uh, Kralik attacks her as she runs up the stairs. And she falls and she hits her head really violently. And there's a big wound on her head now. That would have knocked out Giles. And Giles would have been for sure knocked out by now. And she kicks Kralik off and he chases her up the stairs. And while she's in the upstairs hallway, she dives into one of the rooms and it's covered. The walls are covered in Polaroids of Joyce's face. Joyce tied to her chair. Like there's like hundreds of them. And I was like, that's scary too. Like this is, the vibe here is so tense. It's it's like a horror movie. It really is. Yeah. The one thing I didn't like about this is the music. It was too classic horror for me. Mm. You know, like that. Din, 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 din. I'm just like, not here for yeah, it. Very psycho. Kralik is breaking through the wall, so Buffy heads out another door, but of course she runs right into him. And he says, stray from the path and you will lose your way. Another (laughs) Red Riding Hood mention? I don't know. So he grabs her and he's about to bite her as Buffy tries to pull away. And then suddenly he gets a headache and he starts freaking out and, and screaming. And Buffy tries to run past him, but he throws her against the wall. But as she's like leaning against the wall he's trying to take out his pills to take some and Buffy is brilliant and grabs the pill bottle and jumps headfirst down the nearby laundry chute and Kralik runs down the stairs to meet her at the bottom and I was like she learned that move from Angel watching Angel <laughs> dive headfirst out of her window so many times <laughs> when in doubt dive headfirst down something <laughs> through something or down something so head first down into the basement goes Buffy and when she gets up she sees her mom who's tied to a chair there and Kralik breaks through the basement door and is screaming for the pills and he gets to the bottom and grabs them from Buffy who's just standing there and he downs them 
And then he sees a glass of water standing there. So he downs the water as well. And then he turns to Buff and he says, you don't seem to understand your place in all this. Do you have any idea? But then he stops because something's wrong. And he goes, oh my. And he starts to convulse. And this is when Buffy holds up the empty holy water vial that was in her pocket. And he's starting to steam up from the inside. And he's like, no, no, no. And Buffy says, if I weren't my full slayer power, I'd be punning right about now. Ooh. Ooh. And she has like, she's not quite there with her like confidence in saying that, but there is a bit of a smirk. There is like... Buffy's still Buffy, power or not, right? She used her fucking brains. And Kralik dusts, and Buffy helps Joyce undo her ropes. And, and he dusts from the inside out. Like, it's a bespoke effect, right? Like, it's not that just the generic vampire dusting effect. And it, it's this is such a clever way of getting rid of him. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. I wish, like, I wasn't expecting it. And I think it's also... Like, shouldn't he have started burning as soon as the holy water touched his skin? I mean, no matter. This was a cool effect. Well, maybe it was diluted, though, because she poured it into the pitcher, not the glass, right? So there's water in the pitcher already. It was diluted, so it might have taken time to take effect. Yeah, yeah. But this was was brilliant. This was actually so brilliant. So he dusts, and um, Buffy is trying to get the ropes off Joyce when the other vampire comes down and attacks them. But Giles is right behind it, pushes it up against the wall, and stakes it. And Buffy and him stare at each other in silence, but like, could it possibly be a bit of forgiveness silence because he came to help her? Hmm. No. (laughs) No, we do not forgive you, Giles. So (laughs) cut to the library where Quentin is talking to Buffy and saying, congratulations, you passed. Like, like, let's not pretend that you're not disappointed by that. All right. Because he sounds, he's like, congratulations <laughs> he's literally the worst yeah, I know. right he's like he's just pretending that whatever happened was his idea all along he's like just as i envisioned like no it wasn't <laughs> i want to punch this guy in the face oh, for and other places i i do too and he says you exhibited extraordinary courage and clear-headedness in battle the council is very pleased and i love buffy for saying this because she's like oh do i get a gold star <laughs> and it's it, like Fuck the council. Like, why did Buffy have to prove this at all? She's already done extraordinary, courageous things. Ooh. So he starts to say, I understand that you're upset. And she says, you understand nothing. You set that monster loose and he came after my mother. And he's like, you think the test is unfair. And she says, I think you should leave town before I get my strength back. And... He says, we're not in the business of fair, Miss Summers. We're fighting a war. So, But I, what I like is he clearly has like a little speech prepared and he's just ignoring what she's saying. Yeah, he's not like listening. it sounds like he's just going to like it sounds like he was going to say that line, that next line, no matter what she said in response. It's he's not having a conversation with her. He's just saying things that he thinks make him sound cool. <laughs> yeah. And I think he's also the kind of person who needs to have the last word. Right? Like, yes. he he will not leave this room unless he gets to say the last thing. So Giles is leaning against the wall behind him and he's saying, you're waging a war. She's fighting it. And there's a difference. The test is done. We're finished. And Quentin says, not quite. She passed. You didn't. The Slayer is not the only one who must perform in this situation. I've recommended to the council, and they've agreed, that you should be relieved of your duties as watchers immediately. You're fired. And Giles says, on what grounds? 
And he says, your affection for your charge has rendered you incapable of clear and impartial judgment. You have a father's love for the child, and that is useless to the cause. It would be best if you had no further contact with the Slayer. And Giles says, I'm not going anywhere. And he says, yeah, I figured. So... If you interfere with the new Watcher or countermand his authority in any way, you will be dealt with. Are we clear? And Giles is like, we're very clear. <laughs> Crystal. I like how Quentin says his authority. He's like, we're not sending you a girl Watcher. That's not going to work. <laughs> Jesus. Um, he again congratulates Buffy, who says, bite me. Oh, so then, of course, he has the last word and he says, mm, yes, call of a girl. <laughs> and then leaves and once he's gone there's silence and then giles goes to buffy and helps her clean the very painful cut on her head and again they're quiet but buffy lets him do it and closes her eyes and he's taking care of her and she allows it to happen so i think there is a little step of forgiveness happening here but also i think giles as much as we said earlier it's too late, Giles. You already did it. You already poisoned her and manipulated her and put her in danger. So it's too late for you to take it back. But proving that he is the father figure to Buffy, because look at what he did for her, right? He lost his job. He put himself in danger too. And he went against the authority, the patriarchy, to save her. So, so far, it appears that Buffy is going to allow him to stay in her life and that she's more or less forgiven him at the end of the episode because of the sacrifice he just made. But for me, I'm not quite satisfied. I think he needs to do more. Yeah. So in Buffy's kitchen, the next morning, the Scoobies and Joyce are, they're all making PB&J Sandies. I think that's so cute. They're all making like sandwiches together. And <laughs> Willow is freaking out because Giles got fired. She's like, how could Giles get fired? And Oz is asking Buffy how she killed Kralik. And Joyce is like, oh, she was very clever. And then she's like, you, you tell it, dear. You tell it better. And I like this. I like that Joyce is supporting her and being like, oh, my God, she fucking kicked ass last night. And Willow says, well, when you say fired, do you mean fired? I mean, he's been fired. He's unemployed. He's between jobs. And she's like losing her mind. Well, of course, because Willow's the good girl. So, you know, this would be that's what she would fixate on, right? Like, can you imagine if Willow got fired from a job? Yeah. I know. And I want to add here that it's okay if you're let go from your job, if you're unemployed, that's okay, right? Like, it's okay. But, but maybe try to get fired because you refused to poison somebody under your care instead of after you poison somebody under your care. Just just a little tip Yeah, there. if your boss has ever tried to poison your coworker or force them into a haunted house to prove herself a worthy slayer, let us know. I want to hear that story from you. <laughs> so... Buffy is telling Willow that he's not going anywhere. Giles is still the librarian. And Willow's like, well, I'm going to write an angry letter. <laughs> and Buffy says, there's nothing that's really going to change. The important thing is I kept my special birthday tradition of gut-wrenching misery and horror. And she's trying to open the jar of peanut butter while she's saying this. And she's like, I'll feel better when I get my strength back. But she can't open it because it's too tight. So Xander, ooh, Xander, because we can't go through one episode without Xander saying something infuriating. He stands up and he's like, give you a hand, little lady. And Buffy hands him the jar and he looks so smug about it. And she's like, you're loving this far too much. And he's like, sometimes you just need a big, strong man. But then, of course, he they put that in his mouth because the joke is that Xander also can't open the jar <laughs> and he struggles with it. Yeah. And then he's like, ha, uh, Will, give me a hand with that. 
It's a good joke. It's a good and joke. And I like yeah. how the, it cuts to the credits slide before we hear Xander say, "Will give me a hammer." Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, it's. Yeah, I like. It. I like it too. I think it was a good setup. But again, it's like of course Xander would be like, like let me be the man to help you. Like he would enjoy. <laughs> He would enjoy Buffy being weak. So that's your Xander Snyder for that episode. And that is Helpless. And I, yeah, I don't think I'll go back and watch that episode. <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a downer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I just feel like I'm not doing a good job talking about this episode. <laughs> it's it's tough to discuss. Don't get me wrong. I like the episode. It's terrible in a good way. Mm. And I think we've done a good job unpacking a lot of things. I just, I wish I had something clever to say that would kind of wrap it all up. Like I seem to be able to do a lot of the time. Um, I think maybe part of what I struggle with is, you know, when we talk about like how the episodes have aged and stuff, so much of this episode in terms of the way it critiques patriarchy and positions the Watchers Council as a somewhat antagonistic force it feels a little unsubtle to me, a little too on the nose, you mm. know? And maybe this would be, maybe it would be more powerful in that sense back in the 90s. But now I'm watching it and the horrifying elements are still horrifying. But the power dynamic critiques are less potent. I don't know if that makes no, sense. No, it does. It does. And I think, hey, we see Buffy's authority figure betray her in this episode we see her turn her back on the watcher's council as one of her authority figures saying bite me to quentin as he left was like i I think that's it for me right is is the best thing about this episode is also the worst thing which is giles betraying buffy Mm -hmm. and it's gonna take a while for her to regain any kind of trust in him. well i would hope so i mean why would they show us um faith getting betrayed by mrs post even though she wasn't a real watcher but she faith put her trust in her and she still betrayed her and that was her authority figure when faith already said i have issues with authority figures buffy never really did and now she does in a lot of different ways uh she can't even trust her own mother not to go on onto her porch (laughs) like at nighttime like a lot of issues with buffy and her authority figures now too so this episode i think is really important in showcasing that like you're saying it is on the nose it is very like obvious in that she's turning 18 and all of a sudden the parents in her life are not who she thinks they are i think that on top of all of the (sighs) weakened women state of buffy in this episode were a lot for me like there's a lot of triggering things in this episode for sure so do we even need to talk about who our hero is we can both say it at the same time three two one Buffy! Buffy, Buffy is the it's hero. Come on, there's no, there's no contest Come on. here. Right? She outsmarted that psychopath using water and a laundry chute, and that is brilliant, in my opinion. You are correct. <laughs> All right, hot stakes time. Tis hot stakes time. Our first hot stake is from Rora, and Rora, Rora sent us quite kind of a lengthy explanation of why she thinks this episode is so problematic and i really appreciate it because i just talked about how i've kind of, <laughs> i'm kind of struggling to sum up why this doesn't sit right for me so uh, i'm just going to kind of go through i'm going to paraphrase a lot of what she said here mm-hmm. um but basically she's saying it feels like a knife in the gut and a betrayal by the showrunners and the writers to women and girls in the fan base because because basically it, it, it's like you were saying a few minutes ago, Steph, it's intentionally triggering 
all of these fears that people who aren't cisgender men have about being helpless, right? It's taking advantage of those fears. And I think you and I kind of got to that when we talked about the scene where Buffy was being sexually harassed. Mm -hmm. And Rory goes on to talk about how like the violence that's happening in this episode is not just physical, right? It's psychological, it's sexual harassment. Uh, You know, Rory flags the line that we flagged, let me know if I'm not doing this right. (laughs) Yeah. So the message is clear, Rora says, that without Buffy's powers, she and the other female characters in the show are bound to join the 30% of women who experience some form of sexual violence in their lifetimes. The entire fucking episode is built on the removal of Buffy's autonomy. Uh, It's unfair to all viewers for the writers to create scenarios like this where straight, white, cis men are more likely to think it's sad at face value, while others are more likely to relate to it personally and feel deeply unstable. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Aurora. That That's what I was trying to get at with my discomfort over those scenes. It's, it's like, this, this is what straight white cis men think is like the terrible thing about being a woman or being marginalized, right? And it's like, no, those things are terrible because it's what you do to us. Yes. And you, you don't need to portray that on screen and keep reminding us that the world is terrible. We know we live it every single day. We are aware. We, we are very aware. Um, and then Rora goes on to talk about not being able to forgive Giles, which a, a, a couple of people, including like Emma, whose hot steak we, we shared previously, have talked about. Like, I think that's a pretty common sentiment is it's going to take a while to forgive Giles for this one. And maybe some of us never forgive Giles. And I think that's valid as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the ongoing themes of this episode of this show is can you forgive people? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what deserves forgiveness and what doesn't? And we're going to have so many conversations about that coming up. Many. Because many. it just gets worse. Yeah, it does. Any of you who are watching for the first time, it just gets worse. That's our motto. We're going to have many on-trial episodes <laughs> in the later seasons for sure. <laughs> um, so I, I really like how Rora sums, sums this up, though. What we ultimately have here is the degradation of the bodily autonomy of an underage female character for what is ultimately not a long-standing character arc for her, but instead for an adult male character. Not one person in the show stands up and asserts with any finality that someone who loved Buffy simply could not do this to her. This is not something that people do to the ones they love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why is Willow so concerned about Giles losing his job? Why isn't Willow saying, hey, Buffy, isn't it fucked up that Giles assaulted you and poisoned your body? Where's the anger? Well, for the same reason they didn't care that she was sexually assaulted in the driveway during Go Fish, like at lunchtime, right? Remember she came into the library and was like, guys, I just got sexually assaulted and slut shamed for it. And they're just like, Buffy, can't you see we're reading? <laughs> like, like the, the show does not yeah. address this kind of stuff. And it should. You're right. This is, yeah, you're right. This is, we should. what else would we expect? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not shocked. Yeah. Thank you, Aurora, for writing in and, and talking about that uh, i i really agree with what you said here and i appreciate it because I, I was just really struggling to put that into words it, it's hard it is sometimes really hard to articulate these ideas right so she did a really good job our next hot stake is from sarah who wrote in about helpless and said that what really broke her heart while watching this episode was how buffy got let down so so much by her dad fuck hank she says and then her father figure why giles why and what made it even worse was that buffy kind of feels like by her by her being the slayer she was somehow responsible for her parents divorce and consequently her dad leaving which is definitely something that you and i cara talked about in nightmares and talked a little bit about in this episode too 
And then uh, Sarah goes on to say, when we see her losing her slayer powers and helpless, I think a part of her was worried that she will lose her father figure Giles if she's just a normal girl. I know. Either way, she can't win. And that's so darn heartbreaking. This is what I I mean. Again, our listeners come in with way more articulate and better spoken ways of saying what we're trying to say. Because when Giles said like, oh, you're throwing knives like a girl and isn't engaging Buffy on her worry he's just like well I mean you know we'll figure it out whatever he wasn't taking her very seriously I was trying to articulate what Sarah's saying here that Buffy sees Giles as a father figure and he's not acting like it so when she learns about the betrayal it is damn heartbreaking as Sarah says because it's like I already lost a father earlier in the episode and here's my other father who arguably is has been a better father figure in my life has done something much worse. Buffy cannot catch a break. <laughs> it doesn't matter if that's her birthday. So at this point, is Cordelia and I guess Oz, like those are the only ones who haven't betrayed Buffy at this point. Yeah. yeah. And um, bless those two, except they got betrayed so hard. Remember? Remember when Will and Xander fucked them over too? Ah, the show. So good, but so, <sighs> so, so hard. So thanks, Sarah. Our final hot steak is from Alex who says, if Faith is 18, as we're saying here, did she have to do the 18th birthday, no Slayer power fucked up test that (laughs) Buffy did? Does she just never have to do it if she was already 18 when she became the Slayer? And if she did have to do it, why would she not tell Buffy? I have questions. Good question. Yeah. So actually, there was a a bit of a discussion of this going on in the Prophecy Girls Discord. Mm. And newer listener, Laura, who actually just joined our Buy Me a Coffee support. So thank you, Laura. Uh, Laura said that there's a maybe a correction to the correction we had previously from Emma about Faith's age. And that Faith is actually still 17 and just a month older than Buffy. Ooh. Um, and apparently there's some novels, like some Faith-centered tie-in novels that you know give more of her backstory and talk about her age and stuff you know laura brings up this entire thing of like well if faith's age is based on this novel wouldn't faith have gone through this test and told buffy about it and laura suggests that the the author of that novel might have been told to age faith up so that certain other things that happen later in the Mm -hmm. season are less gross and creepy (laughs) if it was with an underage character um yeah i mean it's a valid question as somebody who doesn't pay much attention to like tie-in media and kind of the wider sort of, you know, theories and stuff in fandom, as you know, if we're just going off what the show says, the show does not do a good job of establishing Faith's age. So I think that it is valid to interpret it kind of whichever way you want. So yeah, did Faith have to go through this test? My theory is the Watchers Council was woefully unprepared for having two Slayers at once. Mm-hmm. And uh, they didn't have the test prepared for Faith. Um, and she doesn't have another Watcher at this. Like, the Watchers are sleeping on the job, yeah. right? How long has it been? Because they didn't dispatch Gwendolyn Post. So they've tacitly allowed Giles to be Faith's surrogate Watcher here. They could have dispatched another Watcher at any time. So I feel like the Council is just kind of like, whatever. Like, they're sleeping on the job here. Um, And I think that the ambiguity here around has Faith done this test or not is just a sign of the Watchers Council total incompetence. Yeah, I agree. I also think um, it's possible that since, like, earlier this episode, 
Giles says, Faith does not want proper training. Faith doesn't really... So she gets left off the hook? Yeah, like, Faith doesn't, like, she's she's not part of this, so fine. <laughs> she doesn't get this deathly test. Maybe it's because Faith is literally like, I'm not doing anything. And they're like, all right. <laughs> you just, like, do your own thing oh, then. that doesn't seem fair. It's not fair at all. That's why Buffy says, it sucks being the good one. The one that has to be murdered because I'm so good, you know? Boo! Yeah. Man, you guys come in with these hot stakes and they just make this rewatch and the recording so much better. Thank you, everybody who participated today. And keep them coming. We have a whole other half of a season coming up, but not right away. Right, Kara? Kara and I are doing something really nice for each other and we're taking a break. Not too long. Not though. too long. No, 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 no. To you, it won't seem that long at all, actually. But to us, we're, we're taking a much needed break after almost an entire year of recording every week sometimes twice a week mm-hmm. yeah we're just we're gonna enjoy our holiday season and take a couple weeks off but we are not gonna leave you hanging so stay tuned uh we will be still on social media and on discord and talking to everybody and we will be dropping a couple surprise bonus things over the holidays both on social media and podcast episodes so stay tuned and thank you to all of our buy me a coffee supporters especially our chosen ones emma lizzie hannah and tara bye everyone thanks for listening to prophecy girls if you want and can afford to donate head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and prophecy underscore girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. See you next week. Bye.